Hey Bev, I think I have a new motto with this weird Midwest weather. When the weather gets warm and soggy, grab the bag with the froggy. <laughs> ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> First Saturday Lime can help keep your coops and barns smelling fresh, soak up moisture, and help control flies. First Saturday Lime is the strongest and safest pesticide alternative on the market. It will not burn you or your animals, yet is strong enough to repel insects and dry up their eggs and larvae. So join us in one of our favorite farm rituals and lime with us every first Saturday. Go to firstsaturdaylime.com and use code DRINK at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping. Sam. Hi, Bev. Well, you sound extremely excited about what you're drinking. Yeah, I just accidentally put my thumb in my beer. (laughs) Oh, fun. Yeah, I'm going to try this really quick. Because it's one of the beers we got when we were in Indiana. That's Um, right. And I think you're drinking the same thing. (laughs) I am. So why don't you tell the listeners what it is? So this is from Burnham Brewing in Michigan City, Indiana. And it is called Creamed Corn with a K. Creamed, well, the creamed is with K and then corn is spelled like corn. And it is a cream L. And this can is pretty amazing. Looks a little children of the corn, but also a a nod to the American Gothic painting. And it's quite refreshing. I did read some reviews on this before I drank it. And somebody said it was good lawnmower beer. And I think I would have to agree, even though my husband's the one that usually mows lawn. Well, he always mows lawn. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> I do the yeah, chores. Yeah, <laughs> I could totally see that being as a as a um, mowing beer. Hmm. Yes. Along the top, it said, disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. So this can just has a lot going on, and I like it. And it felt very appropriate for today's topic, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yes, yes. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Yes, that's Bev over there. And that's Sam over there. And this is the Farm Comedy Podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. That's right. We want to create a community for farmers, whether you have a hobby-sized farm or a huge farm, to come and listen and feel like you're not so alone in this farm thing. We keep it real with you and find humor in the mistakes we make, new knowledge we gain, and sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. Uh, That's right. And sometimes we cut those and stick them up on our Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. And we have fun things up there, like exclusive recordings. Sometimes there's pictures. Uh, So if you're at the $2 and above level, you get access to everything that we put up there. So go check it out. Yeah. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by Montana Coombs, which is at Thimbleworks. So cheers, lady. Cheers. 
And uh, Thimbleworks is a really cool, fun uh, farm decor and wearables shop. So you can check out her website over at thimbleworks.co. So it looks like you have some follow-up this week. So what's going on at Bev's Farm? I do have some follow-up. So I noticed about a week ago that Herc's gelding incision is having some healing issues. If you want to hear about uh, the research we did on a donkey's gelding surgery, you can check that out in episode 56, which is mood lighting isn't just for humans. And if you want to hear about how his uh, gelding surgery actually went, it's over on episode 60, which is called The Opposite Deed. But now it's been seven weeks since his surgery, and it looks like one whole side of the wound has split straight open because it's a perfect, like, straight incision. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, flesh busting out of it. I don't know how else to describe it. It looks pretty pretty bad. graphic. I know. Yeah, it is. It's really graphic. When he dust fades, you know, he, like, rolls around and spreads his leg apart Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, shows you everything. There's like mm. just this big red spot right there. Aww, and poor it, guy. It, it looks really painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I saw it a week ago. And at that point, I had freaked out and called the vet. It was right before we were leaving for coop camp. Right. <laughs> of course. One more thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the vet didn't seem all that concerned about it. He was like, it's no big deal. Spray it with a hose so you can clean it out and spray it with fly spray. He'll be fine. It's going to heal. Well, it's been seven days. It has not healed, though it's not actively bleeding anymore, Mm -hmm. thankfully, but it is super swollen. So I had some neighbors over, um, and they have miniature donkeys, and they came over and looked. Obviously, Herc doesn't let us get too close down there (laughs) because, you know, he karate kicks. (laughs) He's probably pretty mad about the whole thing in general. (laughs) Yeah, and he does He does seem just, like, really irritated, mm-hmm. and we think that that's because he's in some pain, so we don't blame him for that. Right. But they got as close as they could and looked, and they're like, yeah, his gelding surgery should not look like that anymore seven weeks later. It should be totally healed. Right. So they gave me the... A number for their vet so that I could have her out to come look at it because it's not that I think that our vet that we use did anything wrong I just think he's a little more old school and like doesn't understand that he's a pet well it might not even be that it might just be that this was the one fluke and yeah. then maybe he projected his casualness onto you and thought you were maybe overreacting a little bit um, well, and that's, I feel like that's kind of the vibe I give people because I am a little bit of a worrier. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, dude, my donkey's balls look like they're blown out. Like, <laughs> or I guess ball region. He doesn't have balls anymore. <laughs> His empty ball cavity. Yeah. <laughs> Cavernous cavity. Um, yeah, but I, I think that's great, though, that you can have another vet that can come out and take a look at him. Even if it's just like a second opinion, maybe he'll look at it and say, well, there's nothing we can really do. Just keep an eye on it. You, you just don't know until that person comes out and looks at it. So I'm glad that you have access to another vet to at least come over. And even if it's, there's nothing you can really do, but keep an eye on it, or maybe it's just a shot just to make sure there's no infection, um, something to help the swelling go down. Like that's just going to make you feel better. So I'm glad that you're going to get that. 
Oh, yeah. And she's supposed to come out on Monday. So I'm relieved because she was asking me for like pictures of it and stuff. I'm like, it's impossible to take a picture of his backside. Yeah. (laughs) And I did try to take one yesterday and it was hilarious. That was the photo that Google decided to like automatically alter for me. So I have this really beautifully like. (laughs) (laughs) Google's like, this looks like art. Let me help you. Yeah, it does. It looks very artistic. I'm like, oh, I might save that. Maybe I'll print it and throw it up on the pod wall because that would fit in really well. Oh, boy. (laughs) But yeah, so she'll be here Monday. We'll get to find out what it is. I don't think it's anything serious, but he might have to be sewn back up. Um, what, What can happen is if it gets too swollen and usually... It swells too much because they're not moving enough, but I made sure that he was out there walking and moving. So I don't think this is why this happened, but it looks like it swelled. And when it swells, it just bursts the incision that yeah. has healed. And that's exactly what it looks like. So, And he could have like been doing his little donkey twerking in the sand and just hit it just right or something. And that's what triggered it. It's It's got to be so hard to tell like what agitated it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen him hit that thing with his hoof. Oh, gosh. He can kick his own self in his ball area. Yeah, he totally oh can. God, the skill level of that donk. That's why I don't stand next to his back leg because he karate kicks. I'd be mad, too, if I, like, karate kicked myself in my lady bits. So, I mean, maybe that's what he's really yeah, mad that's about. totally true. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this whole thing has kind of gotten me re- to realize that I'm I think I'm going to look into hiring somebody to come and uh, do some training mm. for me for Herc cuz it's not Herc that needs training. I need to be trained on how to handle him properly. Cuz like my neighbors are like, "Well, we really want to try to check him out, but since he doesn't stand still for you and he won't let you near his back legs, you know, it's really hard mm-hmm. to give him the the attention that he needs." I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. I have to get a handle on this. So I need some training so that I can train him to trust me. Right, right. And and to keep you and him safe in that process. That's a really great idea. And I think that's awesome that you acknowledge that because some people would just blame it on the donkey. Oh, no, it's totally not his fault. It's all me. <laughs> well, okay. But <laughs> I know You're like, you. you went too far with you, that. <laughs> Okay, you apologize for existing quite often. So. I do. And that's something I used to do, too, and it's really hard to break. So, you know what? I think, though, if you can get somebody out there to help you, you'll just re- realize how much of a badass you really are and that you just needed a few simple tips, and then it'll be great. But I think this is a good thing to point out to people, that when you get any kind of animal that you don't have since it was born or just young it it, it has habits and it has um and some people might disagree has feelings um that are just ingrained into it because what herc's two years old so he's already picked up on a lot of things in his donkey life so you're both gonna have to learn how to work with each other and if you got him when he was just a little baby donk maybe it'd be a little different so I think this is a good thing to talk through. That is right. I like your perspective. It's always very helpful to me. Oh, good. At least I'm not just like, Bam, stop saying sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but teamwork does need the dream work. And you and Herc are going to make a great team. So you have something else, too, that I think is very important. 
that the world needs to know. I do. So in the mini-sode, I mentioned how I won the silent auction for the Coop Dreams hatching Mm -hmm. eggs. Mm -hmm. And I have them in the incubator. Yay! So they are cooking. And I'm slightly embarrassed to admit that I had to re-look up how to incubate eggs. (laughs) And then I was like, wait, no, who can remember all those numbers? Like, it's totally acceptable to have to re-look up how to do something you do every year. (laughs) Yeah. I have to look up every time I have to give any kind of medication or, you know, it, I haven't hatched eggs in probably a year either, so I'd have to look too. <laughs> but I think that's a good thing because you want to be right the first time because it would have been super sad if you went to, like, take these eggs that are super important and are going to be sentimental and, like, screw it up. I would exactly. have, like, triple checked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if anybody wants to relearn how to hatch eggs, we did talk about that in Minisode 1, which is drink and hatch chicks. So Mm -hmm. I looked that up for everybody, too. I was like, oh, we talked about this. I can refresh really quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, now uh, mine and Brad's farm share an unbreakable bond of chickens as long as a couple survive. But I think they will. it's been five-ish days or so, and I did candle them all this morning, and there is definitely veining in the ones that I can see through the shells. Mm-hmm. As expected, the dark shells are crazy hard to look through, so yeah. I have no idea. Um, but I did accidentally crush one of the eggs. Mm-hmm. I was very silly, and I tried to put 12 eggs into an incubator that had an auto turner that could only hold nine eggs and I was thinking oh it's gonna be fine I'll just put these three outside the auto turner and the auto turner will just push them around the platform well it did but it pushed and crushed (laughs) so don't do that (laughs) learn your lesson from me I pulled the auto turner out, so now we're turning them by hand. Uh, But the crushed one, I tried to fix it. It turns out you can fix eggs that have been crushed just a little bit, and they'll still hatch just as long as the membrane hasn't broken. And it hasn't. It's not leaking. So I use clear nail polish, but the Google also says you can use uh, unscented wax or tape, or there's a couple of different suggestions out there. The nail polish is pretty stinky, uh, but I went with that because I thought that would be the least messy because mm, it dries okay. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't actually think that that egg is going to hatch because I'm pretty sure that the air sac broke. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a couple days just to double check. You but... might be surprised, though, too. Like, sometimes I've thought, like, eggs at, like, day 17. I was like, yeah, that's a dud, but I just leave it in there and hope it doesn't explode. And they end up hatching. So who knows? Maybe it'll surprise you in a few days, like you said. That's true. So I'm going to keep checking on them. Yeah, there's a couple of them. They're hard to see. I am an overly cautious hatcher. I don't check anything until I'm like positive that it's no good. Like weeping, seeping, smelling. Mm, I'll check those. mm -hmm. But if it's intact and I just can't see through it very well, I'm like, yeah, I'll give you a chance. (laughs) <laughs> I'll let you live. <laughs> <laughs> so we got our honey and rue boxes for the month of June. We did. I actually, mine was on my porch the day I got back from Coop Camp, and it was a nice little pick-me-up after the very long drive and just being sad that Coop Camp was over. So that was really good timing. 
Yeah, that was really good timing. And mine was waiting on my desk. I was like, yay, rubbing my hands together. (laughs) So what was your favorite thing in this month's box? My favorite thing was the Free Range Chicken and Gardens book by Jesse Bloom. I have been looking forward to owning that book for a very long time now. And Tina read my mind and put that in the box for all of these subscribers just because I wanted it. <laughs> just just because of you. Yeah. Just because of me. That's a story I'm telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to feel special. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite thing? So I really love the egg yolk soap. Um, oh, yeah. We got some like a while ago that you use on your face. And I use that quite often. And I like it. Um, so I was excited that this was like a whole bar that I could just use for my hands and everyday stuff. And it also came with a bamboo soap dish, which is so handy. Cause how many times do you get soap and like no soap dish, or maybe you're, you know, really basic like me and just don't have a soap dish. <laughs> so I was <laughs> glad that it came with one. So it was, it felt like a nice pairing. So good job, honey and Rue. I liked that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice little gift, like an all-inclusive gift for you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for reading my mind as well, Tina. <laughs> oh, she's so good at that. I wonder she what is. she'll give us next time. <laughs> <laughs> so there were also some flock party mealworms, which are a fun way for your chicken to bust their boredom and have a yummy snack. Uh, and another thing that I thought was interesting that was in there that I haven't opened yet Uh, was the Exotic Nutrition Pea Flakes, which I guess contain minerals and amino acids, including lysine. So it's like good stuff for your chickens that you can give as treats or mix it into their feed. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. Mm, Yeah. And I need to go throw my chicken banquet mineral block out to my flock. I was pretty excited about that, too, because it's like a block that has all of these cool things stuck in it mm-hmm. for the chickens to peck out but the block is made out of calcium so it's like a good a good source of calcium but also a boredom buster and they're gonna love it yes especially since i know we're both supposed to be getting some rain too so they can't run around outside like lunatics all the time when that's happening even though if i let them they'll just get soaked and they just don't seem to care that's um, true. <laughs> so the, that kind of stuff is really nice to be able to throw under the coop so you don't feel as guilty about them being all cooped up. Oh, that's right. crappy out. <laughs> and then we also got a four pack of Catchmaster fly ribbon, which is perfect for this time of year as the flies start coming in. And I actually already have some of those hanging up in my barn where my geese are because ugh, they make such a mess with their water that those are perfect for in between like the clean out the full clean out and the liming and relayering that I do with them um it helps when I can't get to it right away so very appreciative of those being in the box as well oh yeah and there was a hashtag chickens matter sticker in the box too mm-hmm. which, which is, is super, super exciting, exciting. <laughs> Jinx. We- yeah, no, I'm no I'm drinking and talking. <laughs> and apparently that trumps your drinks. Um, <laughs> but we interviewed um, the lady that runs Chickens Matter on uh, the Instagram. She also has a chicken rescue and 
we talked to her about that. And if you missed that, uh, you can go back to Minnesota 13, Drink and Chickens Matter. And then you can be like, I feel like I know this person. And now I have their sticker because I have the Honey and Rue box. And it all just comes full circle for you. That's right. And she has good people. So I highly, mm-hmm. highly recommend you go listen to that. I know we've had a lot of callbacks to previous episodes this episode. but That was not on purpose. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> we're just on top of it. We've got this podcasting thing down and we're like, when we talk about a past episode, we need to know yes. what episode it is. So we can tell people to go listen to it. Especially if you're new here and just discovered us at like Coop Camp or something. So we're helping you out. Exactly. That's and right. As always, it came with a nesting box liner, um, and this month's box retailed at $55, so what a value. What a steal. Uh, and I did you know, peruse the Instagram feed, and I saw two July box sneak peeks already. Ooh. Yes. So one of them is blingy chicken leg bands, and you might be saying to yourself, Why would I ever put leg bands on my chickens? But here's why. Because one, if you just bulk order from a hatchery that makes you buy like 25 of the same bird, um, or you just prefer one kind of bird, or if you have multiples of the same bird and one of them gets sick, or has certain pedigree, or is laying like funny eggs, maybe like soft shell, this is a great way to track that kind of behavior. Um... And then it's also very fashionable for the chicken because I do believe they care about that sort of thing with all the fancy, you know, hen saddles and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that I'm going to start using leg bands for that purpose um, because it will be very helpful. So I was excited to see those in there. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, using them because I've got several uh, leg bands now at this point. I was thinking of using them to mark who I have vaccinated once I start my Mm, vaccination routine. Because then I'm not guessing or worrying about losing a piece of paper. Once I vaccinate them, they get a leg band. And then I'm like, oh, you're good. Yeah. So smart. Yes, I love it. And then we also have Green Goo 100% an all-natural respiratory care item that helps with sneezing, coughing, and in a... Has the chicken feeling all relieved and stuff if they're a little congested, and that will also be coming in the July box, which is super exciting. I know yes. some people might be like, "Well, July, like, do chickens get respiratory <sighs> issues in July?" It's when it's really dry, so it's when all the dust and stuff is really coming around. So they're breathing right. in all that dust, and it's irritating uh, their esophagus and their lungs and stuff. So you can give them a little bit of respiratory boost with that. Mm-hmm. So. And humidity does weird shit to both people and animals, too. So if you're having weather extremes um, because of the weird-ass weather, uh, that could help for that, too. So if you're interested in getting the July box, go to HennyAndRue.com and use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout to get 15% off your first box. Okay. Time for the episode. We're in it. I feel like we were already on such a journey, but this is going to be good. So now that Coop Camp is done, we are back on track with our series about the impact of the flooding and the weird-ass weather. Uh, So if you missed the first episode in this little series, go back to episode 65, titled It's Really Wet, to hear our introduction to the series and learn about topsoil. So today's talk is about the interesting and complex topic of crop insurance. 
Dun, dun, dun. Yes, dun, 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 indeed. Which is why Beth and I opted for the corn beer today. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We're drinking uh, on topic. (laughs) Yes, yes. And, And that's very important here at We Drink and We Farm Things. We do like to coordinate when it's possible. So you might be asking yourself, what is crop insurance? And crop insurance is a complicated and uh, it's a coverage that's uh, derived from multiple sources, including both private insurances and the government. So I actually am not a huge fan of Wikipedia because you never know who's compiling information on there. But true. Wi- Wikipedia wins for a brief description of crop insurance before we truly dive in. So yeah, and uh, go Wikipedia for that because it was very difficult to find Mm -hmm. a brief description of crop insurance (laughs) because it's not a brief topic. No. (laughs) I'm reading things and I'm like, what the F is this? What does this mean? (laughs) I need to look at more words. (laughs) All the words. (laughs) So crop insurance is purchased by agricultural producers, which makes sense, right? And it's subsidized by the federal government to protect against either the loss of crops due to natural disasters like flooding, hail, droughts, or the loss of revenue due to declines in prices in agricultural commodities, aka it's expensive to grow things and then people aren't paying a lot for them. So on average, the federal government subsidizes 62% of the premium. In 2014, crop insurance policies covered 294 million acres. And um, major crops are insured in most countries where they're grown. Approximately 83% of U.S. crop coverage is insured under the federal crop insurance program. And this includes four crops, corn, cotton, soybeans, and wheat and typically account for more than 70% of total enrolled acres. For those major crops, a large share of plantings is covered by crop insurance. In 2014, the portion of total total corn acreage covered by federal crop insurance was 87. For cotton, it was 96%. Soybeans was 88% and wheat was 84%. So that's kind of like a really like thousand foot up look at crop insurance and what exactly it covers. So now we're going to talk about how it works, or at least how Sam found an article from cropinsuranceinamerica.com. I don't know how more specific we could get with that. Um, But there's actually two types of crop insurance that are available to farmers in the United States. Yeah, one is crop hail and multiple peril crop insurance is the other, which is acronymed MPCI, because, you know, everybody needs acronyms and everyone's yeah. going to know what that means. And multiple peril crop insurance is a mouthful. That is, but so is MPCI. Well, <laughs> MIPSI. Maybe we'll just call it MIPSI. MIPSI. MIPSI sounds like an old lady. MIPSI. It does. <laughs> I'm going to name a chicken that. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) So crop hail policies are not part of the federal crop insurance program and are provided directly to farmers by private insurers. Many farmers purchase crop hail coverage because hail has the unique ability to completely destroy a significant part of a planted field, 
but leaving the rest undamaged. If you've ever seen a hail-torn mm. field, you'll know what we're talking about. It's yeah. kind of a crazy sight. Hail is a dick. Hail is a dick. It's a dick to crops. It's a dick to your roof. It's a dick to your car. Yeah. <laughs> In areas of the country where hail is a frequent event, farmers often purchase a crop hail policy to protect high-yielding crops. And unlike MPCI, which, remember, is multiple peril crop insurance, (laughs) a crop hail policy can be purchased at any time during the growing season. Okay. So what is MPCI, you ask? Great question. I did ask it. (laughs) You did? Okay, good. I wasn't just asking myself. No, I (laughs) asked it too. You're not alone in this. (laughs) Oh, so glad I'm not alone in this. It's really fun to do all this research into these areas that you and I don't get into because we don't farm for America. Crop insurance isn't something we ever have to worry about. No, we just bitch about how we can't get our gardens in because it's raining a lot, but (laughs) that's not to this extent ever. (laughs) MPCI policies must be purchased prior to planting and cover loss of crop yields from all types of natural causes like drought, excessive rain, freezing, and disease or pests, things like that. Mm -hmm. And newer coverage options combined yield protection and price protection to guard farmers against potential loss in revenue, whether due to low yields or changes in market price. And market price can be affected by so many different things. It's ridiculous. It's bananas. Bananas. Which are not covered under the federal crop insurance program. (laughs) No, because I don't think bananas are grown commercially in the United States. (laughs) I mean, Hawaii. Oh, that's right. But Hawaii is like an exception to the rule, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Good point. And under the federal crop insurance program's unique public-private partnership, there are currently 15 private companies authorized by the U.S. Department of Agricultural Risk Management Agency. Oh, my God. That's another. Yeah. (laughs) That's another acronym. USDA RMA to write MPCI policies. I said that (laughs) sentence very strange. That's okay. You get it. It's good. It's just alphabet soup with all these acronyms, too. It is. Because I don't work in corporate America, I don't usually have to deal with too many acronyms. Oh, I deal with all the acronyms. It's crazy. (laughs) So, yes, they are a mouthful regardless of how often you use them. (laughs) That is right. The service delivery side of the program, which is writing and reinsuring the policies... Marketing, adjusting and processing claims, training and record keeping, etc. is handled by each private company. And the program is overseen and regulated by the Risk Management Agency, which is the RMA. And the RMA sets the rates that can be charged and determines which crops can be insured in different parts of the country. Because it's different depending on Mm -hmm. where you farm at. Mm -hmm. The private companies are obligated to sell insurance to every eligible farmer who requests it and retains a large portion of the risk on over 80% of the policies written. So there's that. Yeah. And the federal government also subsidizes the farmer paid premiums to reduce the cost to farmers because otherwise crop insurance would be so expensive. It's not even funny. Yeah, it'd be bonkers. It'd be like car insurance in Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You do have really high car insurance in Michigan. Yes, we do here. And if you're from Michigan, can I get an amen? (laughs) I'm sure that you can. I'm in Ohio, so I don't have that problem. Mm. And in addition, it provides reimbursement to the private insurance companies to offset operating and administrative costs that would otherwise be paid by farmers as part of Mm -hmm. their premium. 
And through this federal support, crop insurance remains affordable to a majority of America's farmers and ranchers, which is really important. Right. Exactly. And by combining the regulatory authority and financial support of the federal government with the efficiencies of the private sector, the crop insurance program has succeeded in meeting and even surpassing the goals set forth by Congress for broad participation, diversity, and inclusion. Hooray! Hooray! That sounds like a marriage made in heaven. Mm. Yeah, I mean, have you been to the social sec- or in the Secretary of State office anytime soon? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> And I also have not had to buy crop insurance, so I would love to hear some crop insurance stories from people. Well, actually, my mom was telling me that um, she was listening to my uncle and my cousin because they run my grandparents' farm. And they were talking, they were debating back and forth about what to do with this. So it might be kind of fun if I can have him come on and talk about like a real life experience and maybe like what they... Um, decided to do in the the thought process behind it i just haven't talked to him about it yet so I'm i just think that's a great idea under the gun now by saying like <laughs> we could do this um but yeah so that might be coming and if anyone wants to send us like their thoughts we're more mm-hmm. than open to receiving them and sharing them because mm-hmm. like i said we don't purchase crop insurance so like we're reading the research that we did and we're like this sounds awesome but i mean i'm sure when you actually do it i'm sure it's it's a freaking nightmare like health insurance yeah (laughs) but i do like that there was thoughtfulness put into the government and the private sector working together because of their strengths and and this actually points out in here that by using the private sector and working with the government the risk is shared um, because without some type of government support, the risk would probably be too large for the private companies to continue. So I think that is really nice that they work together on this and one isn't saying they're flat out better than the other. Yeah, that's true. So I found another article from the farmer's daughter USA.com that shares a really awesome example to help us connect some of these dots, especially that um, private sector and government like, relationship too um so it this article says to imagine the difference between a grocery store buying insurance against customers that may come into the store and get seriously injured so although most businesses have an insurance policy they pay premiums each year but the likelihood of a patron um will that would be significantly injured at the grocery store is pretty low that means the insurance companies are not taking on a high risk and premiums are paid by several stores and claims are made sparingly. On the other hand, the risk of providing crop insurance is much, much greater. Assuming there is no government assistance, imagine if all the farmers in a region are paying premiums to an insurance company that insures crops. If there is a severe weather or like, you know, all this flooding, <laughs> an outbreak of a new pest type or a disease to the crops, it generally will hit many farmers in the same area. And that means the insurance company has to take on a big risk. Lots of farmers are paying premiums, but if any claims are made, they're most likely going to be made by lots of farmers. And that's ka Lots of money going out the door. Yeah. 
and it's probably way more than the premiums they were paying. So that, um, it's like <laughs> weighing the risk. And I think it's very smart that, um, like you said, that they're teaming up and they can help each other be both efficient and to take on that burden of that potential risk. So while some people claim we should remove all crop insurance support and let the free market decide, it's important to remember that the market is not really involved in these type of losses. So if the grocery store is careless and allows its floor to remain wet and hazardous, that is due to the store's negligence. However, weather is an equal opportunity force of destruction. It hits whether you're a good farmer or a bad farmer. There really is only so much that can be done to protect farms from weather-related losses. And as a result, it isn't hard to imagine that one bad storm or new disease could wipe out and bankrupt an entire region of farmers. So, food for thought. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I like to liken this to sort of like flood insurance. Yeah. As somebody that grew up in the desert, I never understood why the government subsidized flood insurance because I was like, well, if you want to live on the coast of Florida where you get hit by hurricanes every summer, like maybe that's your problem. Maybe you should build somewhere (laughs) else. And then somebody from Florida was like, well, hey, wait a minute. Like if we didn't have the flood insurance subsidized, then no one could live there. (laughs) it would be impossible and you know like people have roots where they're from and different regions are really important and important things come from different regions i didn't say that very eloquently but but we get what you mean yeah yeah Yeah, exactly so that opened my eyes and brain to oh yeah that totally makes sense that is a different perspective to look at one more reason why stories are so important Mm mm-hmm So now that we are all feeling a little more educated about crop insurance and the different types and why we need it and why the private sector and the government work together, now we get to start talking through making the prevent plant decision. So if you listen to episode 65, we talked about the crop report numbers and they were not great. Um, So what's the farmer with crop insurance to do? Farmers with lots of acres left to plant may be considering taking a prevent plant claim. So according to agweb.com, farmers are most likely considering four options if they're late to plant. And the same website reports that the spring insurance prices are $4 for corn and $9.54 for beans. So keep that in mind because there's going to be some math in here and I don't like math. <laughs> and there's a test at the end, so you better be paying attention. <laughs> and if you get it wrong, you just drink, so feel free to fail. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> Sam should have been a teacher, not. <laughs> okay. So option one is to submit a prevented planting claim uh, with a spring insurance price of $4 for corn. That gives you a default insurance guarantee of $576 per acre. So if you multiply $576 by 55% to calculate your prevent plan indemnity, which means what, Bev? (laughs) It, uh, indemnity basically means like, uh, your financial burden. So it's Mm -hmm. protection against having, uh, something hurt you financially. Something bad happen. Okay. Layman's so, terms. <laughs> so that comes out to $317. So if you plant and you get your your profit for $576 per acre, great. 
But if you can't plant, you're going to get $370 per acre, which is better than nothing. So this still isn't like super ideal, but a farmer should be able to make that work on a portion of their acres. Uh, No other crops can be planted on these acres other than approved cover crops in order for the producer to receive the full 55%. And in this insurance, prevented planting acres will not affect your actual production history, which, and I did Google this separately, uh, which is a record of the an agricultural producer's crop yields over a multiple year or multi-year period. Such records are used by the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation to determine normal, quote-unquote, production levels for a producer. So kind of wrapping that up, you're going to get a little bit of money, not the whole enchilada of what you would have gotten if you planted, but it's not going to ding you on your overall history. Um for as a farmer. So it's got some give and take for that one. So option two is to not submit a prevented planting claim and plant a second insurable crop before the late planting period. So if a second crop is planted before the final plant date, coverage for the second crop will replace the coverage for the first. So for example, corn acres can now be soybeans And it's kind of like corn never existed. So no prevented planting payment will be issued for the first crop. Ta-da! Ta-da! That's kind of interesting. Um, Yeah. And so that one is pretty straightforward. And then you have option three, which is submit a prevented planting claim and plant a second insurance crop after the late planting period. So this one feels a little more trickier, but here's how it goes. If the second crop is insured and is planted after the late planting period, a payment of 35% of the prevented planting payment will apply to the corn acres. Also, only 35% of the original premium for the policy on those acres will be charged. Depending on when you switch from corn to insured soybeans, you may also run into late planting period rules for the soybeans if they're planted after their final planting date. In this case, the prevented planting acres will receive a yield equal to 60% of the approved yield, which will now be part of the 10-year history. Oh my gosh, this is like Peter Piper picked a plant. And the plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, so you can see how this gets a little more complicated and, and involved. Um, and then they have one more option. Bev, would you like to open door number four? <laughs> yes, behind door number four is plant the original crop during the late planting period. Farmers also have the option of planting their crops after the final planting date. The late planting period lasts for 20 to 25 days after the final planting date, depending on the state. Acres planted within this window will receive 1% less insurance coverage per day. And acres planted after the late planting period can still be insured at the prevented planting level, which is 60% of the original guarantee. So it's important to note that the late planted acres will be combined with any acres planted before the late planting window to determine your average guarantee if you utilize the enterprise unit discount. And since crop insurance is so farm specific, any of these options could be correct for you. 
the analyst that was interviewed in this post, Wace Miller. Did I pronounce his name right? I think so. That's what we're going to call him anyways. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Wace Miller suggests the following. My first choice is to take the full prevent plant claim. My second choice is to continue to plant corn for up to a week after the final date. And he also suggests that farmers ask what their neighbors plan to do. And don't be that lone wolf in your area taking prevent plant. Adjusters and underwriters are getting a little more picky about quickly approving prevent plant acres. So talking to your neighbors is a good thing. Yes, you got to appreciate your community that is around you. Solidarity. That is true. (laughs) Solidarity, yes. And if the majority of people in your area are getting their acres in, it may be best to have an adjuster come out to help determine if your land is eligible for a prevent plant claim. But, I mean, it's not unheard of for one person's farm to be on a lower plane than another person's farm. So someone across the street can plant when you can't. So it's important to know all of those things about your area, which I'm sure farmers know. They don't need me to tell them that. But isn't it like... This whole thing is so eye-opening. Not that I ever, 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 ever think farmers are dumb. I think they can be sometimes portrayed that way in TV or media or whatever, you know, um, because you're in the middle of nowhere. Perhaps you didn't go to college. Um, So there might be some stigma to, to, you know, this profession. But this right here proves that the risk analysis and thought process that goes into this is pretty complex. And you have to know your stuff. So, you know, cheers to the farmers because this cannot be an easy decision to make at all. And after all that, you can see why our next topic is going to cover the mental health of farmers. Yes. Because this shit is <laughs> heavy. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. Whew. But I feel like I learned so much. So, you know. I did too. Yeah. Um, But I'm ready for We Can't Even Corner because this is usually a little less intense for my brain, usually. <laughs> yes. This is when we get to decompress from all of the knowledge we just learned. <sighs> For you, listener, and for ourselves. It's fun to learn. Yes, I like learning and research. So, Bev, what is your can't even this week? So, Tina Stevens from our Facebook group shared her perspective on the unseen environmental costs of reusing cartons and getting sick. And I can't even believe that I didn't think of this. Mm -mm. Her post totally reinforced why I love this podcast and love hearing and telling stories. And I also love our Facebook group. So there's another plug. Go join it if you haven't yet. Yeah, do it. Do it. One of us. One of us. (laughs) So what did she, what did she write? Tell us, tell the people what she said. All right. So she said, I was just listening to the podcast where you were talking about reusing egg cartons. That was episode 66. If you don't mind, I thought I'd just add my thoughts into the conversation. I think there's a pretty big environmental cost to being sick. It's the only time I use disposable Kleenexes, which are killing trees. I puke into plastic bags that go into the landfill. I flush the toilet way more often using (laughs) way more toilet paper and water. And I'm not sure how it actually balances out in the end, but sometimes I think the environmental impact of doing something to stay healthy outweighs the impact of saving the earth, but then getting sick. 
but I'm still reusing egg cartons for now because she's a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> like me. You rebel you. <laughs> that is a really good point, though. Right? I read that and I was like, oh, how did I not think of that? <laughs> no. And that, yes. And I agree. That reinforces why we love our, our community and our Facebook group. So thank you, Tina for being so bold to share that and we don't mind when you're awesome and polite and respectful and share your thoughts into any conversation we have the only real rule is just don't be a dick and that was not dickish so thank you yeah it wasn't at all at all so if anyone else wants to share their thoughts on anything we've discussed we'll totally jump into the conversation it's a lot of fun to know that we aren't just talking to ourselves (laughs) yes So what can't you even get over this week? So mine also comes from the Facebook group. um, And it's from Dottie G. I'm not even going to try to say her last name. Do you want to try to say her last name? Grosh. Okay. But I'm positive I'm wrong. (laughs) Okay. So we'll call you Dottie G. Um, That sounds kind of fly, as the kids say. Dottie G. It does. Okay. Um, Hundreds of farmers in Nebraska stood in silence during an auction so that a young man could buy back his family's farm. All the feels for this one. So I'm just, I know, I'm just going to read this article because it's really short. And it's from SunnySkies.com and the link will be in the show notes. So it says, David's family had been farmers for decades, but unfortunately, an ancestor decided to sell the 80-acre farm. This made the entire family upset, but David was determined to win it back again. When the land went up for sale again through an auction, David and his father decided that they would save up money and buy back the land. On the day of the auction, more than 200 farmers were present. David thought that there was no way they would have enough money to outbid the other farmers. But the farmers did something nobody was expecting. As David and his father placed their bid, not a single person spoke up. As it turns out, those 200 farmers did not attempt to bid because they wanted the family to get their land back. After many attempts to solicit another bid, the auctioneer took a break. Three times they took breaks, and each time everyone remained completely silent. Eventually, the auctioneer had to slam down the gavel and give David and his father the winning bid. I've had two profoundly humbling days in my life, David said. The first day, the first was the day my son was born. The second was the unforgettable day at the auction house. Aww. All the feels. Aww. Isn't that so nice? Yes, that does give me all the feels. <sighs> all the feels. It really is so nice. Yeah. I like that story. So thank you, Dottie, for for sharing that and giving us all the warm fuzzies. Yes, yes. And now it's time for our farm story. That's right. We have a farm story from Coop Camp, and we actually had the honor of getting to record that live at Coop Camp. So we're going to cut to that now so you can listen to it and then we'll be back. Yeah. So we have uh, our first victim, I mean, volunteer (laughs) for telling farm stories at Coop Camp. So why don't you tell us what your name is and where you're from? My name is Nikki and I am from Clay City, Indiana, which is about an hour away from 
um, where Coop Camp is this year. So I have the luxury of traveling back and forth to home. Oh, that's nice. You get to sleep in your own bed. I do. I get to see my kids and... So I don't have oh, to worry about nice. my farm animals because I get to go home and make sure that they're okay every <laughs> night. So it, it was nice. That's it worked really out this year. Nice. Yes, that is a nice setup. So you have a farm story that you wanted to share with us. I do. And let's hear it. Okay. So I have a 10-acre farm that has a creek running through it. And I have all my animals together, which are various forms of poultry and my goats and my sheep. And, of course, my cat and my dogs. Mm-hmm. Across the street from us, we have a Mennonite family. And they do not have any animals outside of cats and dogs. Okay. And so the children have started coming over and playing with my seven-year-old daughter outside. Okay. Just for the summer, playing outside. Seems pretty innocent. Yeah, yeah. pretty innocent enough. Well, the other day I was out there with them, and one of the little boys asked her, he said, Hey, what is that duck trying to do drowning the other one? <gasps> and... I just kind of was like, oh, no, you know, I don't want to be the neighbor that has to introduce her, you know, these yeah, kids have to the, birds the, the talk. Bird. Right. <laughs> and so my daughter just kind of nonchalantly just kind of rolls it off her shoulders and just goes, oh, they're just breeding. No oh. big deal. <laughs> Turns around, walks away and was like, hey, let's go play over here now. Never mind that over there. <laughs> yeah. no. I mean, if she's just so used to it. She's just, eh. I see that daily. Yeah, like a good little farm kid. Yeah, she <laughs> I is. love it. So yeah, yeah, that's that's the stuff that I have to put up with. Yeah, with my seven-year-old farm daughter just trying to avoid the talk with the neighbors. I hope so. Gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for You're being very our first welcome. volunteer. <laughs> So if you want to send us your farm story or shit you think other listeners would enjoy, you can email them to drinkandfarm at gmail.com or you can send us in our direct messages on Instagram or DMs, as the kids say, or is it PMs? (laughs) I don't know. I'm not very hip. (laughs) Slide into our DMs with your farm stories, not with your dick pics, please. Oh, yeah, please. For crying out loud. <laughs> it will report you so fast your head will spin. <laughs> I mean, have you heard our don't be a dick? Yeah, we don't <laughs> want to see it either. <laughs> Fair enough. And now it's time for housekeeping. Hooray, housekeeping. Hooray. So it's about time for a field trip. Uh, the Naperville Ale Fest is July 13th at Naper Settlement in Naperville, Illinois. This Ale Fest will feature over 200 unique craft beers. And if you go to their website, you can see that list of who's going to be there. Um, And there will be live music and some of Chicagoland's favorite food trucks. So go buy your tickets today and let us know you're coming because we want to meet you. That's right. I booked my Airbnb, so I'm going. (laughs) Yay! And please take our survey. You can give us anonymous feedback through that survey. It helps make the show better. So there will be a link to that in the show notes. And we probably sound like a broken record at this point, but join our Facebook group if you want to interact with other uh, farm peeps that listen to our podcast. Just search We Drink and We Farm Things on Facebook. It'll come right up. And make sure you answer all three questions, and then we'll let you in. That's right. And review us in all the places. And if you really like us, download the episode when you listen and hit the subscribe button. Please and thank you. And now we're loading our episodes on YouTube. So if you'd prefer to listen to us on YouTube, or even if not, um, go subscribe because sometimes we'll post other random crap up there too. I guess I shouldn't call it crap, but... I mean, it's our faces. 
Yeah. <laughs> Our beautiful faces. So if you want to see those occasionally, go subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen there, go for it. That's right. And we sell merch. And I'll have a link to both of those shops in the show notes. You can buy some pretty cool stuff. Yes. We have t-shirts. Yes, we do. I love those shirts and cups. I do too. (laughs) (sighs) And so many other things. I'm not going to list them all. So many things. So you have to go. You must go check them out. And we are on Instagram and we have a hashtag. So find us on Instagram at Drink and Farm. And then go ahead and use hashtag Drink and Farm on Instagram anytime you are drinking safely um, and farming safely at the same time. So that doesn't have to be alcohol either. But uh, we do share those every Tuesday and Thursday. And sometimes we share a bunch in our stories too. And this is your community and this is a way for you guys to get to know each other. Um, So use that hashtag. Yes. And thanks for listening, guys. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. We appreciate having you every week. We're so glad you keep coming back. We love talking (laughs) to you in our group. We're just, we're feeling all the feels because we're still post-coop camp high. Yes. Uh, Or maybe it's just creamed corn beer high. Oh, maybe. I mean, it was (laughs) 6.2%. I mean, it could be a combination. Maybe. The world may never know. So drink. Farm. And and give give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.